0: Four years ago, my family moved to Michigan, and, uh, that first fall, our, uh, our, the son was a freshman in high school, and uh, he joined the choir at DeWitt, and uh, one of the guys who was in choir with him was this tall, thin, African-American kid named Sean Holland that had an incredible voice, incredible talent. And uh, Mike and Sean became friends, and at the concerts, I began to see this uh, this guy just play and sing incredibly. And I got acquainted then with his dad, Sean Holland, who is the pastor of Epicenter of Worship Church on uh, West Jolly Road, uh, in Lansing, they just moved there. Um, it the, our friendship has been. Uh just an incredible blessing to me, uh, over the last several years. Sean's a leader in the community. He's involved with the churches of Greater Lansing. And so, uh, he makes an impact here. He's got ministry that, that, that goes literally around the globe through doors that God has opened for him. Um, he, uh, one of the things that I love about him is that he was a bivocational minister. What that means is he made his money out in the marketplace. Um, but he was doing ministry and doing God's, God's kingdom work in an incredibly focused way uh, at the same time. He started a ministry on MSU, MSU's campus uh, to college kids uh, in 2003. That grew into the church epicenter of worship that became kind of official and formal. Sean left the workforce, the marketplace, uh, to lead the church in 2006, and so for 12 years he's been the pastor at Epicenter of Worship, and he is... Great. Would you welcome him, encourage him as he comes up?
1: Upstairs.
0: Good
1: morning. Good morning. It is a great pleasure to be here this morning. I'm super excited. And um, uh, I want to just kind of open up by thanking you. First of all, I want to thank my friend, Pastor Rick, and um, he likes gluten-free pancakes. So, if, if you want to bless him, make him some gluten-free pancakes. I, on the other hand, am not gluten-free. But it is, it is amazing to be here. And um, I want to offer you a personal thanks that um, this church means a lot to me. About three and a half years ago, um, I was dealing with the death of my mother. I watched her take her last breath. And... I'm the kind of person I can't minister if I'm hurting. So I took a three-month sabbatical. I came here and um, just feeling really heavy and I knew I needed community. I knew I needed the word. I needed to be around God's people. And um, I walked through and a lovely lady, she said to me, welcome to North Point. <laughs> I said, thank you. <laughs> came in, I sat right over here and a lady moved over to you know, to uh, give me room to sit, and he preached a phenomenal message about a little boy that gave his lunch up to Jesus, and how that sacrifice changed an entire community. Changed my life. And so I want to thank you, and I want to thank Pastor Rick. Let's give Pastor Rick a great God bless you. Really quick, uh, move to do it, 2009, I've been married uh, this December, the 23rd, I've been married 24 years. Love it. That's my baby girl, my brown sugar. She always distracts me while I'm preaching, so I'm gonna ask her to leave the sanctuary. That's my girl, we have four children. My daughter, she'll graduate from Florida A&M next year. My son's a freshman at Michigan State. And uh, he's doing study abroad right now in Italy. And then we have an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old that runs the entire house. (laughs) And her name is Angelica. I want to talk to you today about something so very important. And as I I prayed about what to say, and, and normally when you preach on the road, you know, I've been preaching for over 24 years, you always preach something that you know, right? And as I was praying, the Lord gave me this text and uh, Pastor Rick and I hadn't spoken or anything like that, and I want to invite you to this text, and I want to talk to you from a subject today, the global impact of a veiled gospel. The global impact of a veiled gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want us to look at Paul's words, and I want to draw from these words some points of encouragement to us, some charges and some challenges as well. And... Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four verses one through four, he says, "Therefore having this ministry, diaconos, there's dulos and diaconos, this one is diaconos, which has to do with the service, the work of God. Having received this ministry by mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We faint not. But we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God and even here's this here's the verse that God gave me for this house and even if our gospel be veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing and those who are lost in their case the God of this notice it's a little G right In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, all the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. I wish I had time to deal with all that, which I don't. Today, I want to talk about the the global impact of a veiled gospel. Paul brings in this imagery very quickly. Here's the one, two, three of this scripture. Theologically, he brings in the imagery of Moses as he goes in to interact with God. God speaks to him. And being in the presence of God, it affects his physiognomy, his face is glowing. But that glow that was on his face was not an everlasting glow, it faded. Moses, kind of lacking a little boldness, what he would do is, as he would walk out and communicate God's word, basically evangelize and share the good news of what he heard, he would put a veil over his face. So when so when the congregation and when the nation of Israel was listening to Moses, they could not clearly see or discern what God was doing. Now, we know that God works behind the scenes. He's a God that is phenomenal and he works behind the scenes. But God never told Moses to veil his face. He put a veil on his face because he did not want them to see that this was not an everlasting glow. It was fading as a result of him veiling the gospel or veiling the word that he was given, that veil still exists over the hearts of the nation of Israel. That veil created a mysticism about God and the Mosaic law in that, in Israel's mind, there was nothing higher than the giving of the law. So when Christ came, the veil was there. There was nothing else greater. We couldn't clearly see and discern The God that works behind the scenes. And don't we love the God that works behind the scenes? Oh my God, I wish I had time to talk about that, but I don't. (laughs) Have you ever been tempted to veil the gospel in your life? What Paul says, our gospel is not veiled, and I'll give you three points at the end. He says, our gospel is not veiled. We're going through all kinds of persecution. We're going through all kinds of threats, etc., etc. It's not veiled. We are out here and we're doing it out in the open. Isn't it funny that the entire scripture is about a God? Actually, from a Hebrew standpoint, they call it the doctrine of hiddenness, right? It's huge to Hebrews. And this God works behind the scenes constantly. And Isaiah gets a kind of a picture of him. He says, what's his name? He says, well, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a man child. Well, what's his name? Wonderful. That's not his name, right? Uh, uh, wonderful. He's a counselor. Yeah, yeah, but what's his name? Mighty God. What's his name? Prince of Peace. Yeah, but what's his name? <laughs> he says, it's a secret. I'm working behind the scenes. Mary gets pregnant and says, you shall call his name. Jesus. Isn't it funny that the God that works behind the scenes throughout the entire scripture, when we get to Calvary, God is saying, I'm no longer walking behind the scenes. I'm out in the open. Oh God, it makes me want to weep. That I'm declaring my love out in the open. Jesus didn't die under a rock around the corner down the street at Grandma's house. He died out in the open. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to Israel. He died where everybody, it was a main thoroughfare where you could walk up and literally slap him and spit upon his face. And this is this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that if our gospel be veiled, it is veiled to those that are lost, those that are perishing. And in American culture, we have this thing where we don't want to offend people. And if I shine this light right in your face, you're going to get offended. You're going to get offended. You're you're going to say, oh, wait a minute. And people freak out when we really be what God's called us to be. Like a a for real Christian. When we represent the brand, so to speak. Somebody say amen. Amen. Black people like for you to talk back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some. (laughs) I'm one of the some. If I shine this light, you get offended. But the light of the gospel it helps. And we act like the gospel, and we act like what God has done in our life is an infection. Oh, no! don't share it. Don't talk about it. Even though he works behind the scenes. Oh, don't help somebody by talking about how good God's been. Because I don't want you to be offended. So guess what we do? We figure out ways to veil it, to make it more palatable for someone who needs the brightness of it. We make it just a little bit more you can deal with it. So, oh no, don't do that. Oh, that's too bright. You're shining too bright. You go to work on Monday and people talk about, dude, I got wasted this weekend. We got drunk. <laughs> Two shots of Jaeger. <laughs> we got drunk and wasted. And you say, ah, uh, what, what did you do? What did we say? Oh, had a barbecue. You need to go and say, I had Oxygen. Where'd you get oxygen from? North Point You got high on oxygen? Heck yeah, North Point gives it out for free. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Woo But we find ways to veil it so no one really knows anymore what he really means to be a real Christian. Now I can be in your life, I can be in your community. I'm not offensive. I don't really know what it means. The millennials don't want to go to church. Oh, you love Jesus. We like, we want to be spiritual. But we don't want to go to church. Why? Because we have failed it. I want to show you some numbers of what the globe looks like when we choose to veil The goodness and the love of God. Can you put this first slide up? This is troubling to me because I looked at this and I didn't see anybody that looked like me with a dark mocha tan. (laughs) People ask me, am I from Michigan? I go, heck no, you don't get this in Michigan. (laughs) I'm from Florida, baby. (laughs) The sun does this. Okay, okay, I got to preach. Listen, by 2040, they're saying there'll be 7.6 billion people on the planet, and everybody to the left, their their designation is black, but they're mixed with white, Jewish, Muslim, Alaskan, you name it. They're mixed with everything. Those little designations at the bottom will tell you. What they're saying is, and this is coming straight from the world leaders and the United Nations and all the numbers that we study, that the world is going to be more brown, now, I don't know how that makes you feel. I told you how it made me feel. But what that means is, is that we're going to have to shine brighter than how we're shining. Because the world is changing how people are finding love and how they're finding their family status and, find, and, and living together and relating. The church, what we know is that the church always lags behind culture 10 to 20 years. So we'll come up with a service, a plan, or whatever, and it's not relevant to the world anymore because we work together, we eat together, we do ball games together, but we haven't found a way to sing to Jesus together. And the world's going, I thought Jesus was really good. Let's not be good on Sunday. The gospel. Didn't reach everybody, right? How do you move all people to a life fully devoted to God? You gotta start looking at what's happening. That something is going on out here, and we gotta get the heart of God. I tell my church, do you realize that the Bible says that Christ died for the whole world? That's people that don't look like us, don't think like us. I was going in Maya one day, and a teenager was sitting over on the side. And uh, he was all blacked out. Black fingernail polish, black eye, light, black black coat, black suit, black shoes. And I, and the Lord said, tell him I love him. I said, man, he blacked out. I ain't talking to him. <laughs> Send somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always say yes when God tells me something. I mean, I got to give him one big good no just to make sure it's him. <laughs> I mean, he's God. I can't win anyway. Might as well be honest. I was like, God, you you know, this is me. Your boy ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. (laughs) He got all this black on. I don't know. And he said, you belong to me. You do what I say. You gave me your life. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, dude, you don't know me. I said, I I just want to tell you something. Jesus loves you. And he said, he looked up at me, tear dropped out. He said, I've been battling suicide. He said, I, I grew up right here in Dewitt, went to church right here in Dewitt, and I'm just hurting right now. I said, can I pray with you? He said, For, sure. Grew up Baptist. <sighs> Next slide. This next slide you'll see from the United Nations. What it shows you is, is that the last time I was at the UN and I up I, I served as an as a chaplain and ambassador to the United Nations as we traveled the nations of the world, spread the gospel. 167 million. If we don't deal with inequity, 167 million children will live in extreme poverty. In our culture, if I'm good, it's all good. It's not true. People say, why should I care about, you know, especially African Americans all the time. Why should we care about what's going on around the world? Because God cares. Because Jesus cares. Why should we care? Because he cares. He cares for you. We don't need some big Why? He cares. 167 million. When God looks into the earth, he says 167 million. 69 million children in the age of five will die between 2016 and 2030. Why? Because there's not enough food and sanitary water and sanitary conditions around the world, even right here in America. 60 million children of primary school age will be out of school. I went to One Nation. I traveled there. It's 12 o'clock in the day and we go into this place called the Barrios. And we went there and there's this trash pile and there's kids running everywhere. And I said, man, is it summertime? He said, no, it's not summertime. These families can't afford to send these kids to school. So I said, well, what are they doing? They're just out here. You mean to tell me there's, there's nowhere to go? They said, they said it's $350 to send a child to school and they cannot afford the $350. So if they've got multiple kids, they have to choose one. Our children are blessed. I went to the United Nations the last time I was there, all the ambassadors from around the world, we were having breakfast, I was there with them, and I sat, I won't call the nation, I sat with a guy who was an ambassador to one of the Muslim nations, and he said to me, as we were talking, he said, um... Thousands of refugees are coming through our borders because of war and poverty we can't take care of them I go to the refugee camps and they pull on me and they say help us. We need more food and more water We mean we need more resources He said I leave the refugee camp and I go back to my marble palace and I get down on the marble floor and I weep But I'm not willing to open up that marble palace Everywhere that we've abandoned Islam has taken over. They call it the 1040 window. Missionaries know a lot about it. We don't, we don't send as, as many missionaries to the 1040 window. And because there's a lack of the gospel, Islam is now the stronghold. <laughs> Next slide. Globally, 62 million girls are not in school, half of whom are adolescents and 250 million adolescent girls live in poverty. The global impact of a veiled gospel is the next generation does not have a hand up. While we were there at the UN, as I try to bring this to a close, while we were there, one of the things that we talked about was, was this. If you can get a young girl beyond 12, her chances of living a thriving life double. On the entire agenda, women were not there. And the discussion was, how do we get women on the international agenda? Because if a woman makes money, 60% of her money comes home to the children. But if a man makes money, only 20% comes home. So from a global perspective, we have to find a way to empower our girls. There is an impact for us just living it comfortable as if our american lifestyle will not be challenged i wish i had more time to preach to tell you what's actually going on i'm a political science major one of the things they taught us in political science was don't tell the american the truth because they really don't want to know the truth what they want you to tell them is that everything is okay next slide seven billion people on the planet here's a real issue because of greed and the lack of love in the world 3 billion people right now are trying to take care of 4 billion people economically. This is the greatest global problem that we have while we gather and we sing and we worship. Imagine if we could just reach 50,000 people with the gospel. Imagine. Poor people will rise up at some point. Do you not know there's enough land in Africa to eradicate hunger globally? Let me give you three things. I'm done. Let me give you three things that Paul says. This is our challenge that will help you take the veil off. The first thing he says is, speak the gospel boldly. Everybody say, speak it boldly. Boldness is the result of love. It's the outcome of love. My wife and I've been married 24 years. I still chase this girl around the house. And I don't understand it, but she's getting faster. She is. I'm like, can you slow down and let her brother enjoy the catch? You got to be bold if you love something. American culture, we're too laid back, we're too easy. Be bold to speak it. Not be offensive, overly offensive, but stand up for the one who died for you. That's all I'm asking. That's all we're saying. We're not saying be obnoxious, be rude. No, what we're saying is love me enough to tell me that God loves me. In our church, we had a thing where we wanted to feed people. You know, it's just past. I'm, you know, I'm 45 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being 50, even though I ain't going to be 50 in a, in a long time. I'm still looking forward to it. I told him, don't you dare bring the poor in here and feed them soup and sandwiches. You cook filet mignon. You cook broccoli, you give them a four-star meal so that when you serve them, they feel the dignity and the honor of God. And if you can't serve people, you can't be bold to love people, you're not ready for this work. <laughs> of you know how that went over. What's the budget? Find it. You go on vacation, you do everything else. You mean now all of a sudden we got a budgetary crisis when it comes to loving people? Come on. That's me talking to my church, not you guys. (laughs) Come on, people. And I know this kind of preaching offends people, but we're all here because a God that worked behind the scenes came and got us. (laughs) Speak it boldly. The second thing is live the gospel humbly. Give credit to God for your achievements. Yes, I was a very successful business person. I worked for CSX Corporation. I managed $49 million. And um, I remember one day looking out of the window after we had closed this multi, multi-million dollar deal with Pastor Rick. And I just wasn't happy. I felt like I wasn't making an impact in the world. And that day in Chicago on Lakeshore Drive, overlooking all this plushness, I decided I'm done here. i want to do something else with my life. And and I just just wasn't called to that anymore. If you're in that and you're called to that, stand up, shine, dude, shine, ma'am, sirs, shine. They need it. Live it humbly, which means give God credit. Let people know it's not your intellect. It's God's favor upon your life. That's how you got here. And the third, relate the gospel honestly. Humility has to do with being willing to be made known for who you are. In America, we lie. We lie about how much money we have. We lie about our happiness. We lie about everything. We just, we just that's the culture. We don't tell the truth. But when you come into Christ, you're willing to be made known for who you are. And God's had to do a work in my heart to even be able to minister to a crowd like this. I've had to spend days and weeks in the presence of God to heal my heart so that I can impact people without a veiled gospel. You know how many years I preached with slight prejudice in my heart? Can I be honest? I was told as a child, you never look a white lady in the face. That affected me. Oh, and they're not ready, Pastor Rick. So all my life, I always thought I was never good enough until the love of God came into my life. Living honestly, this is who I am. This is why I'm in the process. I'm still broken, but God's working on me. Somebody say amen. Amen. Take it off. Oh, we love the God that works behind the scenes, don't we? We sit back and we take the credit. But what God is saying to this church and to his church, I need you to step out from behind the veil. Start easy. Start with your family. Start with people that don't like you anyway. (laughs) I mean, what else they going to do? They can't disown you. Tick them off. Who cares? Somebody might get saved. Go figure that. <laughs> Young lady attempted suicide. We went to the hospital to visit her. And as I closed, we went to the hospital to visit her. And we were there. And she just had lost hope. Parents were Christians. And as I was sitting there, the Lord said to me, I've got this Amazing gift to hear the voice of God. And you do too. Take off your necklace. It was a wooden cross that I had purchased. He said take off that cross. And give it to her. And tell her every time she feels. Like she's not going to make it. And that she's alone. To grip the cross. She got healed. Graduated from college. Is living a productive life. Because of the impact of the gospel. Can I ask you my last question? If you had the cure to cancer, all cancer, all strands and brands, would there be any justifiable reason why you wouldn't share it? There, wasn't, there wouldn't be one. Do you know the lady that they got the, some of the cures from, she's an African American lady, she died with nothing? You've got the cure to every problem right in your heart. Take it off. Let's shine. Let's show the world that we can love each other. Oh, God, I'm going to cry. I'm trying to hold it together, Rick. I was in Croatia on a mission trip. They came to me and this is what they asked me, can you explain racism? I said, I can't. I don't even know what it is. This is what they said. We look to the American church for direction. We write a song, they sing it. We write a sermon, they preach it. We build something, they model it. And they said, we're struggling because we don't understand it. If we look at the Bible, we don't see that should have grabbed the person sitting next to you. Today is a change in your life. I'm telling you right now. Today is a change. You will never be the same after this. You will never see people the same way. I will begin to pray that we will begin to see each other through the lens of love. Thank you, Jesus. If I was in my church, I'd sing a song. We're losing the world, because we're in here. And we get glorified in here, our face shines, but we walk out and someone says, oh you're shining too bright, oh. I oh, don't talk about it on the job. Oh. oh no, just a matter of fact, just turn it off. I'll write a check to a missionary, that'll be good enough, no it's not only a tenth of our responsibility that's like you know delegating it like you do it we'll stay here where it's safe and you know you're gonna do it now they need to be detoxed i've been on the mission field it's difficult and people think because you get you know three thousand dollars or whatever that's that money gets eaten up right away oh but we're doing something 15 miles down the road, there's a city called Lansing. You might know it. 68% of the homes in Lansing are being managed by single parents. 98% of those are women. We have a family crisis 12 miles down the road. And I want to say to every goddess here, one of the things as I close, when I came here, one of the things that really touched me I said, I've never seen so many men in church. Because you come to my church, they're not there. They're just not there. I've never seen so many men sitting next to their wives. They're just not there. I said, what a blessing they have. They've got the family. It may not be perfect, but you've got your man next to you. You've got dad in church got women trying to do it by themselves and I'm not trying to spread guilt because there are women here that are doing it by them. What I'm trying to say is you have the world at your disposal. We have it. Let's do something with it. Let's pray. Yeah. You unravel revel me With a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears gone. Holding. I am holding one of your children's hands. A life of great significance and honor. Your blood has covered them too. I pray today that we would begin to have your heart for each other and for our city. And that we would be fully devoted so that we might move others to a life that's fully devoted to you. And all the things that you've done for us behind the scenes, God. We sign up to make you known in this world. We pray for Kate Spade's family and Anthony Bourdain's family. We ask God that you would dispatch someone that would share the gospel with them as they go through this time of grief and bless this church, that it would be a beacon of light and hope in this community.